going to be in 1 John chapter 2 and 3. And Maggie is going to be reading our scriptures. So if you listen to God's word read now. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Amen. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this moment, for this opportunity to be together, to see brothers and sisters baptized this morning, to sing songs of praise to you and about you. God, we ask that you would meet us in this time. Will you make your power and your presence known even now as we open up your living and active word? Would you open wide our hearts and our minds? God, I pray that you would encourage us today. That those who are faint-hearted, who are weary, who are weak with sin, God, would you encourage and help us today as we open your word? By your spirit, help us to soak in the riches of your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In 1951, Disney released the movie Alice in Wonderland. It's based on a series of books by British author Lewis Carroll. And it's a weird movie, if you've ever seen it before. Alice is transported to a nonsensical world as she chases a rabbit through a rabbit hole. And a lot of strange things happen along the way. One of those strange things is she has an encounter with a talking caterpillar. Like I said, it's a weird movie. But this funny exchange happens between the two of them with the caterpillar asking in an over-enunciated way, who are you? Alice replies, I hardly know, sir. I changed so many times since this morning, you see. The caterpillar replies, I do not see. Explain yourself. To which Alice says, I can't explain myself, sir, because I'm not myself, you know. The caterpillar says, I do not know. Now frustrated, she says, I can't put it any more clearly, sir, because it isn't clear to me. To which he says, you, who are you? Do you ever feel this way? And we use that question all the time, somebody asking, who are you? And we usually respond with externals. You say your name or maybe your role at work or your place in your family. But if they pressed a little bit further, like the caterpillar and said, no, no, like who Who are you at the core of your being? I mean, what would you say? Would you struggle like Alice to put your finger on it, lacking either clarity or certainty? This existential question is important for us to consider because how you answer it, or maybe even more significant, what you think the answer is, the right answer is, impacts not only the way you view yourself and the world you live in, but how you live your life. And the world we live in is ready to offer all kinds of answers to fill in the blank for that question, who are you? But as we come to our text today, we see a more glorious answer, an answer that's made possible by the full and finished work of Jesus on your behalf. Listen, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, your trust in Jesus, you are many things, but perhaps the most important John tells us this morning is that you 
are a child of God. You are a child of God. And if you haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus, my hope for you is that as you'll see in this text that you can become a child of God. So I'm really glad that you're here today, that God brought you to be here in person or online with us this morning, no matter where you find yourself on your journey, because the truth of this text, I believe, can radically shape your life and your relationship with God and give you confidence for today and hope for tomorrow. So with that, let's dive into 1 John 2 and 3 this morning, and may God bless the preaching of his word. The Apostle John is writing this letter, and throughout this letter, he's been calling his audience back to Jesus. Their faith is being tested. It's being shaken because there are false teachers that have crept into the church. And some people have even left this local church to chase after false beliefs about God and the gospel. And while our circumstances aren't the exact same as the church that John's writing to, we're confronted with the same challenges. There are a myriad of ideas and thoughts about the world that are swirling around us constantly, coming at us constantly. The world we find ourselves in is preaching a sermon to you all the time. It comes even within the church telling you what you should believe and what you should care about and who you should follow. And it can be confusing at times. John is seeking to root his original audience and us in the truth and to reorient our hearts. Last week, he went head on to confront antichrists, anyone who's against Jesus in his ways. And he concluded this section by calling us to do something, to abide in him, to be anchored in Jesus in the midst of the waves and the winds of life. And so as we come to our text today, John still has false teachers in view. He still has false teaching in mind. But in order to continue to encourage us to faithfully follow him, he puts the coming of Jesus before us. And he reminds us of why it's not only a source of great hope, but great motivation to keep following Jesus. To do that, he gives us two things that we can have because of him. Now, these first two verses we're going to look at in verses 28 and 29 are, are really transitional in nature. They're looking back at what John's already said in order for us to look forward for what he's about to say. And in these two verses, we see the first thing that we can have. When you abide in Jesus... You can have confidence, not shame. When you abide in Jesus, you can have confidence, not shame. Look at verses 28 and 29 again. John writes, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. John calls them little children, but like we said before, this isn't meant to be belittling. It's a term of care, of love for them. And he gives them this command, which he's already given to them, abide in him. And he's talked about abiding in Jesus as a matter of right belief. Now he calls us to abide in Jesus as a matter of right living. Because the reality is these two things are interconnected. What you believe affects how you behave. What you believe affects how you behave. So John is reminding us that when Jesus is at the center of our lives, you are connected to him. When you're an anchored in him, it will enable you to not stray, but stay on the narrow path that leads to life. And the result is, is that as you abide in Jesus, when he comes again, you can have confidence and not shame. And what is shame? Well, it can usually creep up in one of two ways. 
One, it can be a, a feeling of humiliation or embarrassment that comes about when you've done something wrong, when you've sinned, when you've disobeyed. It can also be a feeling of humiliation or embarrassment that comes about when you've been sinned against, when something's, something's been done to you or against you, usually in a, a grievous way. For that second one, if that's you this morning, if you recognize that you feel shame in your life at times because something's been done to you, let me encourage you, whether it's that or the other, that that doesn't need to define who you are. That manifestation of shame doesn't need to define who you are because Jesus came to remove it from you. Now what John is talking about when it comes to shame in this text is about shame that arises from your own sin, not sin that's been done against you. See, he talks about the coming of Jesus here, this appearing and coming of Christ. And the word that he uses there, this concept that he's communicating, it is commonplace for an emperor or a king or a ruler making his appearance. And in ancient times, this would have been unusual because, I mean, there was no TV, there's no photographs. There would have been people who had an emperor over them for the entirety of their life that never actually saw his face. They didn't know what he looked like. And so if there was an opportunity to catch a glimpse, they were all in. I mean, we can still feel that way today. We may see people on TV or see photographs of leaders or famous people, but if we know we have an opportunity to see them in person, we say, oh yeah, I wanna, I wanna see them. But there's a problem when it comes to the coming of Jesus. See, when you rebel against God and his good ways, thinking that, believing that you are good on your own, it doesn't lead to freedom. That's what the world would tell you. That's what our sinful flesh would tell us. No, it doesn't lead to freedom, it leads to shame because it isn't how you were created to live. So you were never meant to live independent. You were never meant to live apart from God. You were never meant to assert your will over and against his will, to make yourself king instead of following him as king. So when the true king comes again, if you're living in rebellion to him, you'll wanna hide from him because in that moment, you'll be exposed for who you are in that moment. It's the same thing that happened after Adam and, Adam and Eve sinned. They rebelled against God. They decided to go their own way. And when God came looking for them in the garden, they hid themselves from him because they were naked and ashamed. We can all be tempted toward this even now. We want to hide from God. We want to hide from others. I know I can do this in my own life. If I recognize a rebellious spirit within myself or sin, it's... it's more tempting for me just to say, let me try and protect myself. Let me hide myself from God. I don't want to confess that to others. I don't want to talk about it with others. I can just take care of this on my, on my own. Maybe you find yourself doing the same thing. But what John is calling us to, what John is reminding us of, is that if you are in Christ, if you remain in him, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to feel ashamed because all of your sin and all of your shame has been paid for in full by Jesus. See, coming and appearing is about presence. Christ has come once and he will come again. Jesus isn't phoning it in, he's showing up in person. And Jesus isn't only our king, the true king, he's the high priest whose death and resurrection says to you and over you forgiven, set free. On the cross, he took it all on himself. And so because of that, you can have confidence, not shame now and when he comes again. Not because you got it all right, not because you figured it all, all out, not because you're capable within yourself, but because he declared it is finished. It is finished. And he is the one who gives help and grace and mercy in time of need. So draw near to him in faith 
and draw near to him in confidence. Abide in Jesus. This all goes back to the idea of having a transformed and transforming life. That as you come to know Christ and live, put your faith in him to have life in Christ, you now start to live for Christ. If you are seeking to watch, walk in righteousness, that's because Jesus is righteous. He, he has lived perfectly on, on this earth before God and now enables us to walk in faithfulness. It gives evidence of new life of being born again as we seek to follow after him. And so then, this means if you remain in him, if you're anchored in him, if you abide in him in an ongoing way, continuing to have faith and follow him in all of life, there's no reason to worry about the last day. And that's his point in verse 29. And here he starts to, to uh, a new thought. He begins to introduce a, a new idea. I thought that he'll continue in verses 4 through 10, which we'll look at next week. But right now what John does is he explodes in this amazing aside about who you are because of the love of God given to you, which not only gives you even more confidence in life today and on the last day, but a great hope for now and the future. So what does John say? He gives us the second thing we can have because of Jesus. He says, because you are a child of God, you can have hope now and for the future. Look at the beginning of verse one in chapter three. John writes, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Brothers and sisters, this might be one of the most important and encouraging verses in all of the Bible. What John says here, what he declares here is absolutely amazing. See what kind of love the Father has given to you. Some translations of this text say, see what kind of love the Father has lavished on you. This isn't just like doling out a little bit of love, little tidbits and crumbs of love. This isn't rationed love. This is wondrous love and extravagant love and lavish love being poured out on you. And what's the result of this great love? So that you can be called a child of God. God's love leads to being God's child. I mean, this is amazing news. But the problem is, is that I think sometimes we can know that cognitively, maybe even theologically, but it doesn't really affect our lives. It isn't something that we think about often. It isn't something that we talk about enough. It doesn't sink in and affect our lives in the way that it should. So let's take some time to dive in and swim around a bit in this amazing truth. Let me ask you a question. What is your standing before God apart from Christ? Like what, what is your position? What is your status before God apart from Jesus? Well, Ephesians 2 says that we are dead in our sin because we follow the way of the world. And because of that, we are children of wrath. James 4 drives this point home when he says, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And when that happens, 1 John 1, we saw a few weeks ago, tells us that we are walking in darkness. Throughout scripture, we see that those who live life in rebellion to God and his good ways are described as lost. So your standing before God, apart from Jesus, is one of death and darkness. It's lostness. You're a spiritual zombie. You're the walking dead. You move about in life, but without real life in you. Your position before God is that you are an enemy of God because you've rebelled against him. And because of that, God's righteous wrath remains on you. But the good news of the gospel is this. 
Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to redeem and restore what our sin has destroyed. He came to make peace with God by the blood of his cross. He came to cancel the record of debt that stands against you by being nailed to the cross for you and then rising victorious from the grave. And when you place all of your hope and all of your faith and all of your trust in him, believing that it's in and through Jesus alone that you can be reconciled to God, you will be saved. Your standing is changed. You'll no longer be an enemy of God, but have peace with him. You no longer be condemned, but justified. Meaning that when God looks at you now, he doesn't see you as a rebel who's gone against him. He sees you as a saved person made right, declared righteous, just as Jesus was perfect and righteous. Remember a few weeks ago, we learned Jesus is our propitiation. He is the full and final perfect sacrifice that satisfies the righteous wrath of God for your rebellion. In and through Jesus, you can be made right with God, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. It's grace upon grace. Friends, this isn't just good news, it's amazing news. But it isn't the full blessing of the gospel because the gospel is about more than rescuing you. This brings us back to our text. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. J.I. Packer, the theologian and author in his wonderful book, Knowing God. If you've never read the book, Knowing God, I'd encourage you and plead with you to go pick it up. It, it is an amazing book about the truth of who God is. He sums up the gospel in this way. Three words, adoption through propitiation. Adoption through propitiation. In other words, your being forgiven, your being reconciled before God isn't the end of the benefits of the gospel. It's just the beginning. It's the doorway to more grace. He goes on to say, adoption is the highest priv privilege that the gospel offers. Higher even than justification. Now, don't get me wrong. Justification is necessary. Being declared right and righteous before God is primary and foundational. From it flow every other blessing of the gospel. But adoption is a higher privilege. I mean, think about this. If we are in the kingdom of darkness and when we're saved, we're brought into the kingdom of God. Picture a kingdom with borders, a realm. If we're brought into this kingdom, God could welcome us into the edge of his kingdom. And that would give us enough to praise him for all eternity. Like we deserve hell, we deserve his wrath and he welcomes us into his kingdom. That should give us more than enough to glorify him and worship him for all of eternity. But God doesn't just welcome you to the edge of his kingdom. He calls you to his table. And he welcomes you into his family. And he calls you a son. And he calls you a daughter. You're no longer a child of wrath. You become a child of God. And here's the thing. You had absolutely nothing to do with it. If you're a child of God, your adoption isn't because of your worthiness. It's because he chose you. Not reluctantly, not haphazardly, but specifically and purposefully. It's because of God's unfathomable, lavish love for you. Your sin left you orphaned and lost and alone. But God made a way. God came to remedy that by sending his only son so that you, so that you could be a son, so that you could be a daughter. 
in Christ and through Christ, your standing before God is forever changed. You not only now have peace with him, but you're his son and his daughter. And that is true of you now. Look at the beginning of verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. This isn't something that's distant in the future. It's your reality, your identity in this moment. You are God's child now. But do you believe that? Do you believe that about your life? And every day, in difficult moments of life, does this reality give you hope and confidence to keep going on, to continue following Jesus? And this life is hard. The road ahead of us is difficult. It can be challenging for us to have confidence and have hope. I think that's why John says what he does in the rest of verse 1. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The world is opposed to God and his ways, so it will be opposed to you because you belong to him. But that can be hard. I mean, we like to fit in. We like to be included. We don't like the idea that someone wouldn't like us or ridicule us or discount us or push us to the margins. But listen, this text helps us see we don't have to try and fit in in the world because we're not a part of the same family. No, we have a new family that is founded on and fueled by grace. So instead of being discouraged or distracted along the way, you can have confidence and hope when you remember who you are. If I told you that this Friday we're going to get together and we're going to be in the basement auditorium and the whole night is about you. And we're going to sit you in the middle of the room and we're all going to circle around you and we're all going to tell you who you really are. Like, get ready. We're going to tell you the things that are most true about you. Some of you are already getting nervous. Right? Like, you're like, what, what, hold on a second. <laughs> Are you following my emails, my Instagram accounts, stalking me during the week? Like, what are you going to say? I don't know if I want to go do this. That reveals something about what we think about our identity. Because if we sit in the middle of that room and have brothers and sisters around us, if they're going to tell us the most true thing about ourselves, who we really are, they're going to look at us and say, forgiven, adopted, saved, son, daughter forever and ever. Do you struggle with sin? Of course you do. But it doesn't have to define your life now. You can live in light of who you are. By grace alone, through Christ alone, you are a child of God. Now that is your present identity. That is who you are. John's hope for you, my hope for you, is that when you remember that, it will give you confidence and hope to navigate all aspects of life. Like everything. When you go into your workplace this week, when you have a difficult time with a child at home, when you're feeling alone, when you're feeling confused, when you remember who you are in Christ, when you remember that you're God's son and God's daughter, it can root you in that truth and give you a firm foundation with which to navigate everything before you. Because here's the deal, that will never change. If you are genuinely God's child, you will never not be his child. He's never going to abandon you. He's never going to turn his back on you. And some of you really need to, to hear that this morning. You need to believe that. Maybe you've had a bad experience with a father. Maybe you felt throughout life that you've been abandoned or alone. But this truth is bringing you back to the reality of who you are, that you have a father that will never leave you and never forsake you. 
listen, just as you didn't decide to be born, you didn't get to decide who your parents are, you also didn't convince God to adopt you or make you his own. He did that. He saw you. He knew you. And he reached out to rescue you and redeem you and bring you into his family. He chose you and he says now over you and to you, he is mine. She is mine. See, this truth though, it isn't just about confidence and hope for today, but also a great hope for tomorrow. Listen to the rest of verse 2 or all of verse 2. John writes, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Right now, life is difficult in this difficult and divided world. Light has broken through, but darkness still remains. And we all personally struggle with sin. Transformation has begun, but it isn't complete. But that isn't the end of your story. What we will be is still in the future. But did you catch what John says? He says, but we know, we know. Not it might be, I hope it'll be. We know when Jesus appears, when he comes again, we will be like him. Why? Because we'll see him in full. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, then we will see him face to face. Oh, what a glorious day to see our Savior face to face. It says, now we know in part, but one day we will know in full. Paul says, even as we have been fully known. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to hide. You can have confidence. You can have hope of this glorious future day that is coming. We will not only be with Christ, but we will be like him without sin and without shame, receiving the full benefits and blessings of the internal inheritance that comes with being God's sons and daughters. Brothers and sisters, you can have this glorious future hope because you are God's children now. This isn't just for us to daydream about for the future. It has implications for our life today. Look at verse 3. John writes, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is a call to live in light of the future hope you have as a child of God. To live in light of your new identity. Because you are a child of God in and through Jesus, and because Jesus is perfectly pure, it motivates you to pursue, pursue purity in all aspects of life, in your thoughts, in your actions, in your words, in your wants, and in your desires. Why? Because you know he's coming back. You know you're going to get to be with him forever. And so you're motivated to run after him, to continue to abide in him, because you know your Savior will come again and make all things new. This reinforces the confidence you can have not to shrink back in shame because you're striving to abide in him until he comes again. I think a lot of us in life have things that we look forward to throughout a day or a week. Maybe it's time with family or a vacation that's coming up or starting a new job, having a baby, taking a day off, maybe just a good meal or a nice glass of wine. We can look forward to something to help us get through a day or a week, especially if it's a challenging one. Do you know what? All those things are fleeting. They're all temporary things. Brothers and sisters, you have something far greater to look forward to. Far greater to help you navigate the challenges of life. You have a hope for a future that is rooted in your secure standing before God. So let me ask you, when life is hard or life is boring, 
when you encounter challenges and temptations, who are you? Who are you? Do you know your own real identity, your own real destiny? If you don't, or you've forgotten, what happens is you can start to wander or drift, to chase after identity and security and other things, things the world offers to you or says to find it in, whether it be your sexuality or stuff, your politics, your position in society. You can find yourself chasing after those things. And if you haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus, the reality is you're still orphaned. You're still separated from God. You're still lost. But it doesn't have to be that way. Come to Jesus by faith today. Romans 10 says that all who call on his name will be saved. So call on Jesus today to be made right with God, but also adopted into his forever family. For others of you, I'm guessing that at some point you can struggle to believe that it's true that you are actually God's son or God's daughter. You might even feel like you're pretending sometimes. Like there's going to come a moment when the truth is really going to come out and God's going to look around the room and around the table and say, hey, wait a minute, how did you get in here? It could be a fear that you have. Like, is this for real? Does he really, does he really want me? Am I really his? When you start to have that question come into mind, recognize it for what it is, it's a lie of the enemy. Listen to me again, listen to me right now. If you are in Christ, you are God's child now. Now. Not because you say so, but because God says so. This is an anchoring reality in the midst of this crazy life. So hold on to that as you hold fast to Jesus. How can you do that practically in your day as your week begins? Well, J.I. Packer, again, gives some helpful encouragement. He says, thinking about being a child of God, say it over and over to yourself first thing in the morning, last thing at night, as you wait for the busy, any time when your mind is free, and ask that you may be enabled to live as one who knows it is all utterly and completely true. Remind yourself of who you are. When someone asks you that question, who are you, cause the, allow that to cause you to think again on, Man, I'm, a, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. But also don't go it alone. Ask your community for help. If you're a child of God, you're a part of the family of God, which means you have brothers and sisters around you. And we can help one another to walk in confidence. We can help one another live life with hope because we remind each other of the most true thing about one another, that we are not our own, but belong to God now and forever. And when you do this, it can help you to have peace in the midst of the uncertainty of life because you know that you have a good father, one who knows you, who loves you, who cares about you. Even when you encounter a difficulty or a trial and you're not sure of why this thing is happening to you in this moment, when you can't see ahead of what's to come, you can trust in him, that he has your best interest in mind that he'll never abandon you, he'll never leave you. He is for you and he is with you. We just heard Hope testify to that, that she has confidence of what's to come, that even in the midst of suffering right now, she knows who she is in Christ. That helps her to navigate the difficulties of life. This has been helpful for me as well through the years. It encourages my heart. It helps me to keep fighting for joy and faith in Jesus, to remember and rest in my true identity as a child of God. I hope it'll help you as well. 
Romans 8 says that now we, along with all of creation, wait eagerly, groaning for the day of our full and final salvation. We groan right now, but we can know and remember that we are God's prized possession, the pinnacle of his creation, not because we are great in and of ourselves, but because God is great and he has set his lavish love on us, on you. Who are you? You are God's child now. May that give you confidence and hope today because you know you'll be with him forever. Amen.